Welcome to Consciously, a podcast focused on honest conversation by regular people and for regular people seeking spiritual growth. Hey family, it's Menachem. I'm so excited to introduce you to episode five of our third season at Consciously, OG Wisdom, Hope Dealers, Carriers of the Light. Today, I'm interviewing Bryna Chin, a wife and mom of five children who currently lives in Chicago. Aside from being my big sister, Bryna is a graduate of the Integrative Institute of Nutrition, and she's a practicing integrative health coach. Bryna is passionate about helping people feel their best, utilizing healthy food and lifestyle changes to generate growth and transformation. Bryna is one of my favorite people in the world, definitely a second mom to me, and somebody I admire so much. I rely on her wisdom constantly in my life, and I'm so happy to share her with you. So here's Bryna. Hey, Bryna. How's it going? Hey. How are you? This is so fun. This is fun. This is a real thrill for me. I'm so excited to have you. I'm really excited to be here. This is so exciting. I, you know, I'm excited for so many reasons. I'm excited because of, you know, obviously of our relationship, but also because of the perspective that you bring. I've had so many uh, rabbinical type figures and uh, therapy people that are kind of professionally working in the psychotherapy field. I was grateful to have um, Ellie Schwebel recently who's kind of more from a musical background, but for, to have someone who's kind of so focused in on understanding ourselves physiologically, but with from a spiritual way of looking at things, I'm really excited for what you bring to the table. And also because you're such a great mom and you have so much to bring in that area. So I'm really excited to hear what you have to say and all the different stuff. I'm really grateful for you to be here. So, Thank you. Uh, our listeners have heard before, if you haven't heard before, there's a list of seven questions that we go through, and they're the same seven questions, and we get a really amazing diversity of answer from all the different guests, and they receive the questions ahead of time, so they have an opportunity to hear them and think about them, so they're, they're, not, they're not answering off the cuff, but these are their message, their spiritual message, and what they bring to the table. Um, so the first question is just to kind of give the audience an idea of who you are. Like, where you, who are you? Who's Brian Chin? <laughs> so Bryna Chin is a wife and a mother and an older sister. That's a really important part of who I am. Um, I'm just trying to work to be the best you I can be and not get bogged down with doing what everyone else is doing just because everyone else is doing that. That's a big part of who I am also. Mm. Sometimes I am really swimming against the tide in that but it's really important to me to just be my own person and um, be my own Jew. Um, I'm also someone who's been fascinated with health and wellness. And I always say I must've been a a doctor in another life. I just didn't get to go to medical school in this one. So, um, but I love the functional medicine and holistic medicine, alternative medicine. I love that. And so I chose to go back to school and become a health coach. And that's as close as I'm going to get to it right now. So um, that's who I am. Amazing. And, uh, and, and, and you live in Chicago. I live in Chicago. Which is so interesting. (laughs) I don't think we ever could have anticipated that. Where I go. You would end up in Chicago. <laughs> nope. We like to do things differently. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Okay. So, so jumping into our first question, you know, being that we've mentioned your, the space that you currently live in. So I asked you to think about what place in the world is your most favorite place. And as I've mentioned kind of every time, because of every, everyone we're interviewing, 
so far has been Jewish. So I use the example, like if you're going to say Jerusalem, which part of Jerusalem? And if you were to say the old city of Jerusalem, which stone in the old city of Jerusalem and why? Why, why is that space your favorite? What does it express about you? What does it teach you, teach you about the world and what can it teach us? So mine is really um, practical <laughs> and really specific. Um, the place I found to be the most thought provoking for me is on Shabbos morning. Um, there's a few reasons. Shabbos morning, um, usually I get up early and the house is quiet. Everyone's still sleeping. And I find that because I don't have my phone and I don't have clients and I don't have carpools and I don't really have to do anything. Shabbos is like that day that like everything's kind of prepared already. Um, and I usually wash my dishes. It's very <laughs> mundane. I wash my dishes and I find that like the monotony of washing my dishes and that calmness of having like really nothing else to do at that moment. Um, that's the time when I really am able to like get inside my head. Um, it's almost like my, my meditation time, but, um, but I'm not meditating because I'm actually doing something, usually cleaning up or washing dishes or cutting a salad or something, but it's just really peaceful and really calm. And I find that like, that's when I think about my, my kids, I go through each of them in my head, like what everyone's up to and what we're working on next. And then myself, what I'm working on next and my marriage and my clients, I usually have like a lot of breakthroughs at that time um, for like, oh, right, I didn't try this with that one. And I didn't try that with that one. Um, so I think that's my my favorite place um, for now. I think that's my favorite place. Right and now I, in this uh, moment of your life. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. That's very specific. Do you find that that the rest of the week when things are, there's so many other things to do that you just don't have the the time and the space to just slow everything down and be able to do that? Is that, it's just always running and running and running. Yeah, for sure. And also just having your phone on um, really makes you not be able to think openly. It's just, um, there's always the next thing. We're always up to the next thing. You know, your phone's ringing or beeping or I forgot to check my email, my WhatsApp or, or, oh shoot, I was supposed to, you know, take care of that, whatever. But Shabbos morning, it's like, you can't do anything else. Like this is all you're supposed to do. All I have on my mind is like, I need a Dobbin. That's it. You know? And that's the most meaningful space for you now at this time in your life. Yes. Amazing. Okay. So I asked you to think about uh, a specific folk story, a spiritual proverb, something that reflects you, um, you know, something you draw a guiding principle from that you've been able to put in, into your life. So what, what would, what would one of those be for you? Um, okay, so I love the story of Rachel and Leah from the Torah, um, the Imahos, and I'll tell you why. So I think that um, the the story that we are all told and the story that we all know is that, um, you know, Leah was supposed to marry Asab and Rachel was supposed to marry Yaakov and Leah, um, you know, was crying and she was so sad about it and Rachel felt so bad. And so she gave up these signs that Yaakov gave her. She gave it up for her sister. Right. So just to and give, then, just to give background for someone who doesn't know, right. So Isaac has two children, two sons, right. Isaac, the forefather of Jewish people, son of Abraham has two sons, two sons, uh, Yaakov and Esau, Jacob and, and Esau. Right. And 
and their cousin, right, Lavan, has two daughters, um, Rachel and Leah, Rachel and Leah, right? So Leah's assumed that she'll marry Esau, who's the older son, and, and Rachel will marry Jacob. But Esau is is, is unholy. He's not he's not uh, he's not righteous. So she's upset that she has to marry Esau, right? And um, and 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 instead, when Rachel's about to marry Jacob, and Leah will be left an old spinster, right? So Rachel hands over the signs, the secret signs that Jacob gave over to her, so that they wouldn't be fooled. And in this way, Leah ends up having ends up marrying Jacob. Right. Right. So that's the story that we're yeah, all yeah. told, and that's the story straight from the Bible. Right. Well, there's a little measures there, but anyway, but it doesn't matter. Right. So. <laughs> Something that I learned, yeah. and this changed it for me, was that when Rachel gave over the signs to Leah, um, did we explain that part about the signs? Yeah. So basically, yeah. So basically, the 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 bride would be covered completely on her way down to marry the groom, and so the groom wouldn't know if that was his new bride or not, and so. Rachel was able to tell Leah these secret code that her and Yaakov had established. Um, and in that way, Yaakov didn't know that he was marrying the wrong girl. Right. Um, okay, Great so way to start a, an now. open a relationship of open communication. What? A great way to start a relationship of, of open communication. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, okay. So a deeper part of the story, right. which I really love is that Leah didn't ever know that Rachel gave her the signs. And there is like a proof, but it's a little, whatever, it's a little bit technical. Okay, so, so there's a tradition that says that Leah didn't even realize that Rachel was giving her um, these secret signs. She didn't realize what was going, she didn't realize the extent of it. Okay, that's interesting. I've right. never heard that before. Okay. So much to the, to the point that like a few, um, you know, later on in the story, um, Leah even yells at Rachel, you're trying to take my husband. And it proves that Leah had no idea that Rachel gave her husband over. And it, this is something that is just so profound to me because we, we do so much for other people, but we, we need a thinks. And we need the credit and we need to be heroic. But sometimes you do things for other people and you never get a thanks and you never even tell them that you did it for them. Mm. And you live your whole life kind of wanting to tell them and wanting everybody to know what a hero you are, mm. but you don't get to say it. And I think that's just so beautiful. And it's really something that, I, I, it's my goal. Like it's my, it's something I strive for to be able to be that person that could just be there for other people and not need the thanks and not need the, the, the glory. I think that's really, really beautiful. Wow. That's a, such a remarkable interpretation of the story. I don't think I ever heard it that way. It makes, it makes a lot of sense, at least the symbolism of it, which is, you know, that, 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 she gave over these signs and Leah might not have known that, that, that there were secret signs. She said, Oh, these are the signs that you need. And she, okay. Maybe Jacob send them to Leah. 
you know, who said that he sent them to Rachel. And, and so therefore, Rachel lived with that secret. And mm-hmm. even when Leia was attacking her, she still mm-hmm. held the secret, mm-hmm. right? Which is like that great moment of, you know, self-righteousness. You know, you think, right, she easily could have pushed back, so to speak, on Leia. You know, it's like, right. well, you don't realize, you don't realize, he's really my husband first. You, you, oh, how do you have a right to do that? But instead, she didn't do that. She, she held her tongue, so to speak. Right. Which is which is this remarkable space where you know when you when you learn the 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 laws of charity in in the Jewish tradition. I was just learning this. It was like two days ago, and I happened to be to be learning it. It talks about different levels of charity, right? And the the highest level of charity, well, the second highest level of charity is is where is where neither the person giving nor the person receiving knows who gave or received, because mm-hmm. it's the it's the essence of the kindness itself. You know, there's a line that I that I use a lot. It's for free and for fun. Because I get right. to, right? Which is which is a, such a powerful idea, right? So it's like, and it's the essence of the kindness itself, and and to do the thing, to know that I'll do the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing, without the credit for it, right? And how right. often are we pulled towards the sense of acknowledged virtue, someone knowing our virtuousness, our our goodness, you know, instead of seeing that maybe I'm good just inherently within myself. I don't need everyone to to uh to acknowledge my virtue right right when i when i have that sense of inherent value inherent virtue then i don't need the whole universe to know that i'm virtuous right but you have to be really comfortable with yourself and you have to be really (laughs) confident in your abilities and in your your in your strengths to really be okay with not needing other people to make you feel good about yourself. Right, right. It's a certain sense of self-confidence. You know, I, 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 I wasn't going to talk about this, but it, it's coming up, so it's really worthwhile to say. I was reading this in this book. It's called Yichud Hasbodas. It's a Breslov book. It talks about the intimate interaction between God and the, and and the person who's standing in a, in, a, in a place of private prayer with his Creator. And and he talks about when you're standing there in that space where you're talking to your higher power, you're talking to God. And and you're just there, so the the impulse is often to like tell God what a piece of garbage you are. Like, oh, I did all this wrong, and I did that wrong. I'm so bad. I did. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. He says in that space where you're, that's a good thing to do. Maybe at a different time when you want to do do uh, repentance. But he says when you're like standing in a in a space of intimacy, right, with God, you don't come with your with the garbage. You come with the good. You stand before God with all of the good that you have. You bring before Him all or you bring your your higher power all of the goodness. Be your mm-hmm. whole good self. And then he makes a remarkable statement. He says, when a person stands before their higher power, right, before God, as their full set of their full goodness, in their full goodness, in all their virtue, then they don't need the whole world to see their virtue. Because mm-hmm. if God sees your virtue, right, right. then then right. you don't need and if you don't, if you can't stand before God, if every time you stand before God, you think about what a piece of garbage you are, then you walk out of that intimate space with God and you're you're desperate for someone to feel your virtue you're right. desperate you're like looking around all day who's going to tell me I'm virtuous who's going to see that I'm virtuous so that it's a it's a remarkable teaching so like if I can have that inherent sense of self-worth right and the the, the awareness that my higher power that I myself that my highest self acknowledges my self-worth then I don't I don't need the 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 acknowledgement from everybody else, but if I don't have that, then I go around looking and seeking. I need everyone to see what's good about me, my little piece of good news about myself. So yeah. okay, so so um, oops. 
So, so it's, it's, it's interesting inter- interviewing my sister, right? Cause it's, uh, it's, it, there's a, there's a part of it where it intersects with my own experience of life, even though, uh, in our family, kind of each gen, each generation of child, meaning had like their own experience of life. We all had our own different experience of, of our diverse, uh, upbringing. So, so, but, but at the same time, so, but, so I know I'm aware kind of, of the challenges and the ups and downs that we went through as a family and then that you've gone through as a, as, as a young adult and, 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 and as an adult, you, you have a beautiful life, but, but we all have these kind of challenges. And, and oftentimes when we encounter suffering, it can make us feel like there is no hope or we don't have permission to have hope. So what was, a, I asked you to think about an episode in your life or a moment in your life that gave you a sense or a permission of hope and optimism that allowed you to kind of build the life that you have and be the person that you are. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's nice that you mentioned our upbringing a little bit. So, um, I, I didn't really do so well in high school. Like I, I didn't get a whole lot of out of high school so much because I had so much going on in my little young brain that, you know, school was just so silly and not important compared to the big things that were going on at home. Um, and then I, I really disliked seminary and, um, I really didn't feel like I got anything out of it. I came home and all of a sudden I was 21 and I was like, I, I I'm following the rules because I'm naturally a rule follower, but like, I just don't know why I'm doing this like whole Jewish thing. Like, why am I religious? What am I doing? I, I, I don't feel anything. Is this the way it's going to be for the rest of my life? And do I want to live a life like that? I don't know. Um, and so someone said, you know, go to Neve Yerushalayim, go there. So I went there. Um, it was interesting because I, I, I went to um, religious schools my whole life. And at that point in time, I was kind of an anomaly when I got there. It was really for um, women who grew up, you know, very secular and are learning more about Judaism. And for me, I, I was already religious. I already was supposed to know everything that they were teaching. Um, and so I was a little bit of an anomaly. And I remember in my interview, I got there and Rabbi Lift was the one that interviewed me and we were talking for a while. And then he said, um, do you know that God loves you? Do you know that? And I never knew that. I never knew that there was such a thing as like this love that God has for me. It was always about what I had to do for him and never getting that love in return. And that just that was completely life-changing for me. Um, you know, that you can you can search for spirituality and you could search for meaning and, and that you have someone there who's always thinking about you and always thinking about your best interests and always wanting the best for you. It, that, that just changed everything for me. What do you, do you think that there was something about that moment that, that let you hear that message? I mean, was that the first time anyone in your life had ever told you that God loves you? Yeah. Is it possible someone had told you that before to, and you so didn't I hear it? That. Is it possible someone told you that before and you just, you just didn't hear it? So or what I'll, was it? I'll what do you think you it was why. about that moment of your life that let you hear that message or that allowed that message to, uh, 
kind of, uh, you know, emerge into your heart, break through? Yeah. It's interesting because I was talking this out with my husband a little bit. We were talking about it and, and he was like, you know what? I, I don't think I ever heard that too until, until I was around that age. I think we grew, I think that our kids today are are really lucky. They get to live in a world where it's okay to ask questions. It's awesome to ask questions. I, I tell my kids all the time since they've been little, 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 that Hashem loves you, Hashem loves you. I, I don't think I ever heard it. I really don't. And I think, um, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's the difference of the education or... Um, maybe what you're saying is right. Maybe I did hear it and I just never internalized it. And at that point I was old enough to internalize it. It's very possible. I just feel like the way that we grew up was very black and white and very, um, very, um, cold, very cold, lots of rules and not really, not really getting the love, um, I mean, not getting the love in that way. Of course, we got love in other ways. Our parents loved us. I know that. But um, but not getting that, like, warm and mushy and, like, feeling that you could be a friends, friends with God, you know, that you can go to sleep at night and have a whole conversation with him. I, I don't think that was ever presented to me in that way. Right. It's. It, I mean, it's interesting. I always wonder about that. You know, I always wonder because sometimes you hear – you hear something at a certain point, you're like, oh, I never heard that before. But then I, I even had that where I'm like learning, you know, Jewish books, right? Well, I'll be, I never heard that before. And then I'll go back to books that I read well before I heard it the first time. And it was there glaring in my face. I just didn't see it. I didn't have the eyes to see it or the ears to hear it. And But then you also don't know. I mean, we were little kids. You never, you never know what you what you hear. But what's, what's remarkable is that we didn't we didn't grow up in the kind of like normative Northeast yeshiva system, you know, we were out in a, uh, we spent at least part of our lives in a, in a day school, you know, that, that was trying to present Judaism in a light that was attractive, you know, cause it wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't like they were, like we were forced and yet you can go through that experience, which is also part of my experience. I mean, I remember I was probably 19 or something, 18, 19, when I got to Israel, really, was really where I started to hear those kind of things, like this kind of idea that you could have a personal relationship with God. Um, mm-hmm. It took me a long time to even even absorb that. I mean, it really took me until my, probably my 30s to realize, like, like no, 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 really. Like, you don't have to just go to God mm-hmm. with, with your worst self. Like, that idea right. that I was reading the other day. Even, even the truth is, even until three days ago when I was reading that, when he said that, I was like, oh my God. It really struck home because how often do I like go into a space where I, you know, go out for a walk in the park and I talk to God and my immediate impulse is to go to one of two things, either like what a piece of garbage I am or like how grateful I am because I have to like repay him before he'll talk to me. I have to tell him how thankful I am. Like I treat God as if he's a neurotic you know, virtue needy person. He needs me to acknowledge his virtue before we can have a conversation, you know? I have to like stroke his ego a little bit before he'll talk to me, you know? It's, it's like, it's so distorted, right? So how much of that stuff is education and how much of that stuff is kind of like under the surface of an inner voice that maybe we did receive, you know, from our parents, from our grandparents. I mean, we are grandchildren of Holocaust survivors, and all of that and all of that mm-hmm. residual mm-hmm. trauma, I think that's for sure you know, all it. that stuff that just didn't mm-hmm. allow us to hear those messages or the people that were giving them to us. And yet then we come into our adulthood and we encounter, and we start to have children and we start to, 
or to have experiences or like you would describe, which is really remarkable, that part of your story where you said I was 21 and I said, am I going to do this forever? You know, which resonated with me so strongly because I've had so many of those moments in my life at 19 and at 25 and at 30 and at 35 and at 41, you know, like, which I am now, right? There's like, am I going to do this forever? Right. It's like, a, it's a, that remarkable moment where it's suddenly like I'm seeking and I need, and I, you know, and then suddenly something becomes available to you that maybe was there the whole time, or maybe wasn't there the whole time. But the point is it wasn't getting across. And then what's really beautiful about that story is I get to try to make sure that my kids don't have that experience. I get to arrest the, that cycle you know, of right. not passing on that message that right. God loves you, that God right. is desperate for your, for your interaction, that God wants to be your friend, you know, right. and that doesn't take away from the fact that we can revere God. I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that you think that, and I, I don't think that either. It's, you know, it doesn't take away. It's, it's a beautiful thing about this dualistic relationship that we have with God, where he can be our buddy. And at the same time, we can also revere and honor and, and be awestruck by the greatness of his glory, right? And at the same time, there's other times where it's just like that God loves you. Did you know that God loves you? The, right. the other thing that's really remarkable about that story is how simple that statement was, you know, and how this Rabbi Liff, like probably to him that was obvious and he just went out on a limb. Did anyone ever tell you that God loves you? And to you it was right. so remarkable. How many times we say like the simplest things and the and you have no idea what the impact of that kind of thing can be. Like here, it's like, you know, twenty years later, and you're like, oh, that's the most the moment that gave me a sense of hope. Like this, he's yeah. Like, Did you ever hear that God loves you? Like, it's <laughs> it's really amazing, right? It's it's so simple, but it's I don't know. It's just um, I think that if you don't really internalize it, then you could just go through life just thinking like the way we thought. You know, the way that we were kind of like brought up to think that just fear God, just fear him, fear him and tell him how awesome he is because he needs to hear it. Right. He doesn't need to hear it. He needs us to know it. Right. Or, or what I was reading today is he, he, it's like, you know, like the, the famous philosophical question, can God create a rock that he can't lift? Right. So the, the, mm -hmm. the Kabbalistic answer to that question is if he felt like it, he could. <laughs> right so like god made himself so to speak needy of our praise but it's not because he needs it it's because of this reciprocal relationship it's uh you know a back and forth intimate relationship so in order for us to be able to give compliments he has to need those compliments so to speak right right Ki'ilu. right so so this there's remarkable space where there's a real relationship going on and that relationship includes affirmations right so even even praises even reframing which is something I've been thinking about a lot. Like when I praise God in my religious prayers, right? I'm just giving God affirmations, right? I'm affirming to God my love for him and my respect for him. Why do I do that? Right. Because I'm in a relationship with somebody and I would do that. I do that in my marriage. I do that as a parent. I do that right. with my friends. It's important. It's a functional part of a relationship. If I just came with my problems, that wouldn't really be a relationship. It would just be an ATM, Right? right, spiritual ATM. But if I'm in a relationship, then that's a relationship's going to include affirmations, right? And then it's like, well, how often am I aware enough to receive the affirmations from God, right? How much He loves me and how impressed He is with me, and etc., cetera, right. etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right? I had this thought recently. I was saying, I was saying one of those things in davening where you like to tell Hashem how great He is, and 
I just like paused for a second and I was, I was just thinking like, what if this is all for me? Not that God needs me to tell him how great he is. He needs me to remember how great he is and that he's capable of everything. And he holds abundance and everything that we need. I, it's for me to remember, to remind myself, not for me to tell him whatever. It just like switches it around right. a little bit. Right. I think it's a little bit of both. That's what I've got. Yeah. Conclusion. Yeah. I mean, not really Ke'ilu, right? So um, Ke'ilu is a word that means like as if, but not for real, not for real. As if. Right. So, okay. So, so, so you emerged from that space at 21 and kind of went on and created a family and a, a, a life, right? A life and a, a life for your children and for your husband, who's awesome. I, I was feeling like we'd have Hershon with you. Uh, he's the best. So. <laughs> I, I told him, I don't know why he asked me to come on. He should ask me to come on. <laughs> Another time we're going to ask her to come on. I, I should do a whole season of like uh, business professionals, like spiritually oh, oriented cool. business professionals. That would be interesting. That would be cool. Uh, th- there's an episode coming out that whoever hears this will have already heard it from Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg, who's the rabbi in Boca Raton. So mm-hmm. he studies business, like uh, business books. Like the basis of his whole outlook, even in Judaism, is so informed by excellence in business. It's remarkable. He was as he was sharing. It's it's amazing. It's an amazing way to think about it. Anyway, maybe, maybe that'll be another season. So, but part of that, part of being a successful mom and now a health coach and and all of those things is must include a, a set of daily practices or habits. So I asked you to think about like a daily practice or habit that you have that you really feel has contributed to your personal success and maybe one that nobody knows about, or it's not so obvious or is not as intuitive, but like in, 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 in retrospect, it's like, no, that this really made a difference. It doesn't have to be, but something that you really feel made a difference in your life. Um, okay. So my, my number one prior, well, okay. My relationship with Hashem, of course comes number one, but my relationship with Hirsch with my husband is really, um, the most important thing to me. And we have teenagers in our house now. And so, you know, you don't get to talk privately ever, 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 ever. Um, and so we, we wake up every morning, we wake up much earlier than everybody and we have coffee alone together. Um, we usually do like three minutes of journaling separately, but together. And then, and then we talk about whatever needs to be, but it's not our date it's different than our date night or like it's different. It's, it's just a very private space um, where we're just focusing like kind of on our growth. Um, So we do our journaling and then we usually um, have to tell each other like uh, what we're, um, what we're plotting for the day, our plan of what we're hoping to accomplish that day. Um, Mm. Whether it's, you know, a work goal or a spiritual goal, whatever it is. Um, But that, Really, I mean, I get out of bed because I'm so excited to have coffee with Hirsch. So that's what gets me out of bed every morning. And it really makes my day very productive. That's amazing. That's awesome. I love that. I love that. I, I, I experience a lot of that, like in, if I have a chavrus in the morning, every morning, you know, or something like that, or just, a, yeah. you know, I have one guy now that we, we have 15 minutes, we have a coffee together on the phone. Um, That's so nice. um, it's like before I start anything, uh, and it's, it's, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's literally nothing. It's just being together with another person, but really jumping into your day. Not, you know, that's amazing. But you do that with Hirsch. That's so sweet that you do that together. 
That's well, nice. you know, we try. Yeah, that's so, <laughs> that's so special. Okay, so so on on the topic of relationships, I asked you to think about one thing about one relationship that makes that relationship awesome and work, and and what are the steps you take to foster that relationship? Okay, so this is where I get really personal. Um, <laughs> so um, it's been pretty personal I the whole really time. Not, what? It's been pretty personal the whole time. So I don't know. I don't know. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm really <laughs> okay. excited. What's going? <laughs> well, this is really personal. So I have never really been very kind to myself. I I um, I had to grow up fast. And I am very, very hard on myself. And so when I turned 40, I, I went back. I mean, I've been to therapy a lot, but I went back to therapy and I specifically worked on, um, I did internal family work with my therapist. Um, and it was amazing because I, I'm a really, I'm a good mom. I am. I, I'm really loving and caring and I'm really focused on my kids and I'm, I'm, I, w- I always had a um, like a natural mothering instinct. I remember you used to tell me that all the time that I'm I have a, I'm the oldest sister, so I, I do always take care of everybody. Still, um, I love taking care of everybody. I love it when my siblings call me in the middle of the night because their kids crying and they don't know what to do. I love that. So um, I could be kind to everybody else, but then I had this. this part of me, these little parts of me that were stuck because of trauma. So the way internal family um, work works is that because of trauma that happened in different times of your life, there's different parts of you that could get stuck at certain ages. And so I, let's say I had like a specific part that I was trying to work with and that part was stuck at about 15 Um, And so whenever that part of me was triggered through conversation or through something that triggered that trauma, I turned 15 again and I would respond in the way that a 15 year old would respond. Um, And so, so my therapist presented it to me. I was able to go back to that 15 year old part of me. And she said, be a mom, like be a mom, be, let yourself do what you do naturally, that mom part, but do it to yourself. Like be kind to yourself and be loving to yourself and tell yourself it's safe. The world is safe and you are safe and you, and, and, and look at, look at who you are now. You're not 15 anymore. You're, you're 42. At that time I was 42. Um, you're 42. Look, look at all these amazing things that have happened to you and look at, look at, look at who you are. Um, and I really learned to, to be kind to myself and to have a relationship with myself that I never let myself have ever. I always put myself last. I never put myself first. I never took time for myself and, and, um, self-care was never something that I was into. Um, I felt very selfish to, to, you know, take care of myself. Um, but then when I had to be a mom to myself, Um, I just, I realized that, um, that a relationship with yourself is, is, is just so beautiful and it really helps you grow and it helps you give to other people too. Wow. That was very powerful. So (laughs) meaningful that, you know, I had a few, a few thoughts while you were talking. First of all, 
So the, the, the relationship that's awesome is the one you have with yourself and, and the steps you take to foster that is, is, and, and what's great is that you said, I recognize that a strength of mine was to nurture and to be a mom so that the way to have a relationship with myself was to bring my best self to that relationship also and to be a mom to myself. Mm. But then it's I was nice thinking, yeah, it's, it's really powerful. But then there was something even more powerful that I was thinking. I was thinking, who's answering the question? Your 15-year-old <laughs> self? Which part of me? Yeah. And I was thinking, <laughs> you know what? It's like your 15-year-old self is saying, I am, my mom is great, you know? <laughs> <laughs> she's so so she's so amazing it's like an affirmation it's so beautiful it's really really beautiful that you like you're even when you were saying it it was like you were you were you were nurturing yourself in that moment you were telling yourself you know how good you are to yourself how good you are in that relationship but not in a it didn't i mean i didn't experience it as uh in a narcissistic or egotistical way not at all it was very intimate and real and and to give yourself permission to even to give yourself permission to admit that you appreciate your inner mom that's taking care of you. And that's, you know, that's really, really special and sweet. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. My pleasure. It's, it's really, <laughs> no, it's, it's, um, it's really powerful when you realize that you can have little parts of yourself um i remember i remember when when she was explaining it to me my therapist she said you know have you ever said um so i was like talking to myself she said did you ever do that that's your parts of self one part of self was talking to your other part of self it's not like i'm not schizophrenic it's not like we all have this inside of ourselves and sometimes we react to something and then we're like whoa, who was that? That wasn't me. I don't talk like that. I don't act like that. And when you realize that, you know, there's, there's different parts of yourself. Um, I don't know. It's really cool. It's just a really amazing concept. Yeah. Really powerful. Very meaningful. So I, so I asked you to think about like a, I, and, and, and this maybe is a really good follow-up to what you were just talking about when you're like coming to a place maybe of, relieving a lot of that stuckness and that pressure, but also as being a coach and really helping other people, but also being a mom and being a great mom or being an older sister and, and having nachas and kind of like, uh, you know, just feeling like I got this all worked out. I, I have it, everything figured out. Right. So, so what are the things that you do to stay grounded, to not kind of lose sight and not kind of not be to, to not, to not be too much above the fray, to really be there and be present. Um, so I think that because of my life experiences and just seeing how things could just be here to, today and gone tomorrow, like money or success or power, or fame, or, or I don't know, anything looks, anything literally are here today and gone tomorrow. And, um, just to really, really appreciate that everything is a gift from Hashem and, to live in the moment that that has been something that is so hard for me because I'm just, I have so much energy and I'm always running, running, running onto the next thing. And sometimes I just have to remind myself to relax and just appreciate, like you don't have to be onto the next thing already. Just appreciate where you are this second, appreciate all the good things that you have right now. Um, I think that has kept me very grounded. Um, 
that also just has made me love COVID. <laughs> Even though I'm not supposed to say that, I don't love that bad things happen to people. I hate that. I'm a very sensitive person. I, I I cry over people being sick and people losing loved ones. I, I that that was very sad to me. But the fact that we all had to just slow down and not be running and be stuck in our houses, working on our relationships with the people that are around us, just that seemed like a little bit of a gift to me. Kind of like washing your dishes on Shabbos without your phone. Right, exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Exactly. Whatever makes you stop and smell the roses. That's right. That's right. Okay. So, so what are, so I'm sure I have no doubt you talked about having teenagers, which is, uh, I'm now, I'm now living in a house only with teenagers, right? right. There's basically only one adult in my house and it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's nummy and then there's three teenagers and a dog <laughs> so it's like uh <laughs> so i i I, know I have some semblance of what it's like um but but uh but in addition you know like uh there's life life is, is challenging and hard and ups and downs and backs and forths what are some specific take steps that you take to recharge like when you get burnt out or like when you wake up on the wrong side of the bed or you're just feeling really emotionally down what are the things you do to nurture yourself Okay, so number one is I take vitamin D or I go outside in the sun because vitamin D is the happiness pill. Um, not don't take too much of it, obviously, but I do take enough. And if you're down, if you're feeling down, a lot of times it's because you're vitamin D deficient. I, I feel it. Like I know when I'm depressed. I know I need it. So, um, so that really helps. I also make sure to drink my water. I am like, my daughter said she's going to buy me a t-shirt that says drink more water. It's good. It's really, really good. That's my t-shirt <laughs> that I'm getting because I really think that so many things are solved um, by just by hydration, really. Um, I suggest half your weight in ounces. So let's say if you're hundred pounds, 50 ounces of water a day, it's so simple. It really helps me. Like it really, really helps me. Um, another thing is that I make time to journal. Some people meditate and, and I love meditation. I, I personally like journaling. I find it really cleansing for me. I, I make sure to write in a way that I, that it can't be read. Um, like I scribble, but there's something about um, having thoughts in your head and then putting them down on paper, not typing them, but actually writing them out, which kind of like empties your brain, which is like super cool. Mm -hmm. um, so I write in a way that no one can read what I wrote. Like I scribble, but it is very, very cleansing. Really. It's like, it's unbelievable. And you can write things about anyone because they can't read it, which is so cool. <laughs> so when my teenagers are driving me crazy, I just, you know, I could curse them out in my, in my little journal and then, and they have no idea that I just, you know, told all their deep, dark secrets. Um, another thing I do is, is yoga, which I, I really love. I find it really, um, cleansing and, um, it makes me stop and really work on myself and decide, you know, what I'm, what I'm trying to accomplish with my day and, and just all those things, like I said before, like reminding me about all the good that I have, you know, being grateful for all the things that I have, but I find that yoga is something specific that you can do to, to, um, to nurture that. Um, the other thing I do 
is that I make sure to, when I'm feeling down, I make sure that I make a date with a friend um, or not even call a friend, like actually face to face with a friend. And what else do I do? Um, I think, I think that's about it. All of those things. It's really cool because all of those things give off like, you know, all the happy hormones, serotonin and your endorphins and your dopamine. And those are all things that you're missing when you're feeling really down. Um, And I find that the problems are just gone. You know, I, I go to sleep happier. Um, and then I wake up and then the next day and, and, uh, I don't have that bad feeling anymore. Um, yeah, those are my practical health coach, um, suggestions, but they're really actually things that I, that I practice myself when I'm, cause I do, I do get down sometimes. Um, you know, I think we all do. So, so those are that. Those are all my go-to things that I do. I, I love that you saved for this question, and that you specifically answered, kind of unapologetically. Even though almost at the end, you added a little bit of an apology for answering as a health coach. It's like about like the the interaction between our cognitive, existential, spiritual self with our physiological self, and how often we. I mean, I can def- I'm definitely kind of subject to this um, as like somebody who's a religious Jew who's oriented towards Hasidus and existential thought and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I can always think that it's some kind of existential problem. And it comes down to like, did you go outside today? Did you get mm-hmm. a good dose of the sun? Did you drink mm-hmm. enough water? You know, are, have you right. interacted with another human being? Like, no, 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 really in person. Did you eat right. a good meal, right? So like all of these things, right, um, are so important and we so quickly can kind of like take them for take them for granted and then also like minimize their, um, I think this is something I really like admire and, and learn from you right? and not to be apologetic about it, I think is really important. Like, like everything doesn't have to be an existential crisis. It could just be like, take better care of yourself. Hashem gave you your body he didn't only give you your minds he also gave us our bodies and our bodies are really really amazing at telling us when something's wrong yeah and it doesn't only have to be you're right it doesn't only have to be oh my god I need to call my therapist or I need to take a pill or I need to self-medicate myself no it could just be that you didn't drink enough water seriously um, and your body's telling you that, and that's a gift. It's a gift that Hashem gave us that our bodies tell us when something's wrong. Amazing. And then to kind of expand upon that, when you kind of create this, which is what kind of what you're alluding to, when you create this ongoing dialogue between our spirits and our bodies, and our bodies are informing ourselves of what's going on, that's really like a very elevated way of looking at things. It's not like, a, meaning it's less ascetic. It's less kind of like dismissing the body is not worthwhile as opposed mm-hmm. to seeing it as a vehicle for tremendous spiritual spirituality and sp- tremendous insight and and value and something worthwhile. I think it gets into the, some of that stuff that you talked about, being a mom to yourself or being a parent to yourself, nurturing yourself. Like your right. body needs to be nurtured also. you know. Yeah. And then when you say the thing, like, something like your body needs to be nurtured, the thing that that conjures up is like, oh, you're talking about uh, self-indulgence. right? But that's, that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about like right. your body deserves enough water every day. Right. Right. Like it's just, it, it's, it, it, it's disrespectful not to give it the, the, the water that it needs. 
right? Right. And when right. it throws a tantrum, don't get shocked. <laughs> don't be surprised if you can't live on coffee alone. Right, right, right. right. Okay, that, that was a, a little dig at me. <laughs> uh, no, I do it too. I do it too. We okay. all do it. We all do it. Right, coffee's right, right. awesome. Yeah, coffee's great. <laughs> <laughs> I've been drinking a lot of seltzer, actually. It's really been helpful for me. I got like yeah. a, a soda stream machine, yeah. you know, so then I fill up a bottle and I drink, I'll drink like a whole bottle of soda stream. Because or else mm -hmm. the water alone, it's it gets like I guess boring. It doesn't have like that. I don't know whatever other right. you know like kick that you get from coffee. The 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 bubbles are addictive. That's what it is. Oh, is you that start what it is? Craving the bubbles, and then water can't do that for you. So you have to really like eliminate the bubbles to get over that like hump, and then you won't need them anymore. But they are the bubble, the feeling in your throat. It's like you crave it, like you're thirsty for bubbles, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. So I'm addicted to bubbles. Now, yeah, whatever. Okay, so you Bubbles know? Anonymous, not a big deal. Bubbles <laughs> <laughs> Anonymous. Amazing. Uh, Brian, it was awesome. It was so special. This is great. It's really Thank nice you to have so you. Much. Thank you for joining us. I, I think uh, so much to learn. So much to learn. Oh. There was probably so much more, but it's so, it's so great. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me again. I loved it. Okay, all the best. Thanks for listening to the Consciously Podcast. Consciously is a project of The Living Room, which is a division of Our Place New York, and made possible by the kindness of the Capellius family, memory of Tsipora Basravaro. The host of Consciously is Menachem Posnansky, and produced by Chaim Kohn. Editing by Eitan Korenblum, and our trusted assistant to the regional co-host, Maya Hanekman. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We sincerely welcome and appreciate your feedback and questions, so please feel free to email us at consciously62 at gmail.com or on our Instagram and Facebook pages.